Good morning, folks. Uh, it's great to be with you this morning. Um, feels like the right thing to say, although it's also terrifying to be with you this morning. Um, this isn't my usual, uh, my usual place, um, but we're delighted to be able to stand in for a brother. The, we pray for our men here, the Reverend Stuart and the Reverend Greer, and we seek to support them in all that we can. So this is me putting feet to my prayers this morning. So when the Reverend Stuart asked us to stand in for him, we were glad to do that, and we pray that the Lord would bless our time together around the Word of God. If you have your Bible, please turn with me in the Old Testament to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 7, and we'll read together from the verse 1, so it's Psalms, Proverbs, and in the book of Ecclesiastes, and we'll read together from chapter 7 and the verse 1. I'm at the age now where I need to take the glasses off for reading. Um, which means I can't see you too well, so um, don't be falling asleep on me. Um, The Bible says in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 7 and the verse 1, A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of one's birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For that is the end of all men, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. Amen, and may the Lord bless the reading of his word to our hearts this morning. We'll just bow in a moment's prayer and seek the enablement of God this morning. Our gracious God, our loving eternal Father in heaven. We bow before thee, O Lord, to give thee thanks on this thy day that we're able to draw aside to have this time before thee. We pray, O God, that you would come, be one of our number. Bless us, O God, each and every one individually. As has been prayed many times in the past, O Lord, as our faces differ, so indeed to our needs. We pray for this morning those who would be carrying a burden. We pray, dear Lord, that thou wouldst bind up the broken in heart. We pray for the cares of this life that can sometimes overrun the heart and mind. Lord, we pray that that cloud would be lifted today, that brethren would know the the presence and near sweetness of thy spirit. O God, come and be amongst us. Lord, we pray especially for the preaching of thy word. We pray as we cast it as bread upon the waters that it might go forth, Lord, that it might accomplish that whereunto thou hast sent it. O Lord, that it would be going into good and fertile soil, that it might bring forth fruit. Lord, we seek thine honor and thy glory this morning. So to that end, O God, we pray that man might be hid far behind the cross, that none would be seen, save Jesus only. O God, forgive the iniquity of our sin and our trespasses against thee. Lord, we pray this morning as of one of old that we might be touched with that live coal from off the altar, that our iniquities might be purged from us. O God, that we might be a vessel fit for the Master's use. O Spirit of the blessed Holy Ghost, come and minister to each and every one. So, Lord, wait on before us. Be at our right hand. Teach us what we ought to say, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're reading this morning from the book of Ezekiel, 
And these were the words of King Solomon. King Solomon was known for his wisdom, his wealth, and his writings. His crowning achievement was the building of the Holy Temple in Jerusalem. Almost all that we have and know of him is found in the books of 1 Kings and 2 Chronicles. Solomon was the son of King David from his relationship with Bathsheba. He was blessed by God with wisdom above all men. Solomon accumulated enormous wealth. He controlled the entire region west of the Euphrates and had peace along his borders. First Kings states that he owned some 12,000 horses with horsemen and 1,400 chariots. And although Solomon was young, he soon became known throughout the lands for his wisdom. The first and most famous incident showing forth his wisdom as a judge was when two women came to his court with a baby, whom one woman claimed as their own. Solomon threatened to split the baby in half. One woman was prepared to accept the decision, but the other begged the king to give the live baby to the other woman. So from this, Solomon knew that the second woman was the mother. People from the surrounding nations came to hear Solomon's wisdom. One of the most celebrated visits to Solomon was that of the Queen of Sheba. She came from southern Arabia. Historically, Arabia was a country rich in gold, frankincense, and myrrh, speaking to the Savior. Solomon needed Sheba's products and trade routes, and the Queen of Sheba needed Solomon's cooperation in the selling of her country's goods. The queen came to Solomon with camels carrying spices and gold and precious stones. She asked him questions and riddles and was amazed at his wisdom. The story of her visit is set forth in Second Chronicles chapter 9. We read there in the verse 1. When the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon, she came to prove Solomon with hard questions at Jerusalem with a very great company and camels that bear spices and gold in abundance and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she communed with him, with all that was in her heart. And Solomon told her all her questions, and there was nothing hid from Solomon which he told her not. And when the queen of Sheba had, set, had seen the wisdom of Solomon and the house that he had built, and the meat on his table, and the sitting of his servants, and the attendance of his ministers, and their apparel, his cupbearers also, and their apparel, and his ascent by which he went up into the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. And she said to the king, It was a true report which I heard in mine own land of thine acts and of thy wisdom. Howbeit I believed not their words until I came, and mine eyes have seen it. And behold, the one half of the greatness of thy wisdom was not told me, for thou exceedest the fame that I have heard. So the wisdom of Solomon was indeed great. And in the few moments left to us, I want us to consider Solomon's wisdom for sorrow of the heart. Solomon's wisdom for sorrow of the heart. Our text this morning is in verse 2 of chapter 7 of Ezekiel. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for that is the end of all men, and the living will lay it to his hearts. 
These words would seem contrary to the view of the natural man who would rather be in the house of feasting than to gather to the house of mourning. There are none of us here today who would choose to be in the house of mourning. Yet it is to a place we often must go. King Solomon writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, it is better, better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. One house is marked with joy and singing and happiness, the other with sorrow, tears, grief, and anguish. Solomon's father, King David, had to go to the house of, the mo- house of mourning at the loss of his infant son. The mothers of Bethlehem had to go when Herod's soldiers slaughtered the infant children two years and under. And this week, our family was brought to the house of mourning with the sudden passing of my wife's aunt, Florence, our phobia as we affectionately knew her. There are some observations that we can take this morning, some blessings to our soul that we can learn from the house of mourning. Solomon writes, it is the end of all men. That is to say, each and every one of us has an appointed time on this earth. That is something we should all keep in mind. Our days are indeed numbered. Death is not something that should take us by surprise, but something we should be making preparation for even now. Perhaps if you're listening to me this morning and you have not Christ as your Savior, you need to make preparation for eternity. The call this morning to you is to repent of your sin and to put your faith in Jesus Christ that you might come to him for cleansing in the blood, that you might know salvation and forgiveness for your sin. Oh yes, today, repent of sin and put your faith in Jesus. Death cannot be escaped. The house of mourning for the Christian brings into sharp focus the need for us to ever be conscious that we are ambassadors for Christ in this world. We are to be a light in a dark place. And even this time of year, as we come into Christmas, we have opportunities that we normally wouldn't have to be able to share the gospel news with others. As they speak to hear of the infant in the crib in Bethlehem, we must lead them from there to the cross of Calvary and there share with them the love of God and the salvation that he has prepared for all who will trust in him. The house of mourning is a place of unvarnished reality. There is a special honesty to be found there. We are confronted face to face with the reality of eternity, the reality of our own immortality or mortality. Our hearts become tender And we see and experience the deep affection of family and expressions of love from dear friends. And God especially draws near in those times to bring comfort to the heart. And so that is a valuable lesson that we take and draw from the house of mourning. 
we become more sensitive to the gospel. We become more sensitive to the needs of those around us. The end of verse 2 reads, the living will lay it to heart. The living are you and I. The living are those who have been made alive by the Spirit of God. And the Bible says we will lay it to heart. We will deeper appreciate the coming eternity. We will, with the renewed sense of eternity in view and its meaning, renew our spirits, renew our zeal for the Lord and His will in our lives. We will renew our prayer life for those who know not His salvation, for those in our family and our friendship circle who are outside the kingdom. Yes, we will lay it to heart. This is why Solomon in all his wisdom wrote, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. That said, there is much we can glean from the house of mourning. We ought not to just dwell there lest our hearts be overcome with grief, but let us take its lessons and move on. Nothing in life can truly prepare us for the death of a loved one. Whether death results from a sudden accident or a long illness, it always catches us off guard. Death is so deeply personal and stunningly final. Nothing can emotionally prepare us for its arrival. With every death, there is a loss, and with every loss, there will be grief. Grief does not come and go in an orderly manner. When we think the pangs of anguish have taken their last breath upon us, another wave can sweep in. And we are forced to revisit the memories, the pain and the anguish. Sometimes we try to resist, but our hearts are overwhelmed. Culture tells us to move past the process quickly. Take a few days, take a week perhaps to grieve, but don't stay there too long. Grieving can make those around us feel uncomfortable. Friends sometimes don't know what to do with our pain. Loved ones struggle to find adequate words to comfort aching wounds. Yet grief, as painful as a season it is, is a necessary part of our healing. To run from grief is to run from the very thing that can quell the pain of our loss. Our grief has a purpose if we bring it to the Lord. He is the one who can bind up the broken in heart. Grieving can, grieving can be the most difficult time for us, trying to balance the feelings of pain and loss from now on with everyday life. Give yourself space and time. Be honest with your emotions. Do not grieve alone. Don't lose hope. Turn to the Scriptures and find comfort for your soul. God has given you friends and family to help you bear the burden. You're well familiar with the story of Horatio Spafford Gates. He was born in New York on the 20th of October in 1828. But it was in Chicago that he became well known for his clear Christian testimony. He and his wife Anna were active in the church and their home was always open to visitors. They counted the world-famous evangelist D.L. Moody among their friends. They were blessed with five children and considerable wealth. Horatio was a lawyer. 
He opened a great deal of property in his home city. Not unlike Job in the Old Testament, tragedy came in great measure to this happy home. When four years old, their son Horatio Jr. died suddenly of scarlet fever. Then, only a year later, in October 1871, a massive fire swept through downtown Chicago, devastating the city, including many properties owned by Horatio and his family. That day, almost 300 people lost their lives, with over 100,000 made homeless. Despite their own financial loss, the Spaffords sought to demonstrate the love of Christ by assisting those who were grief-stricken and in great need. Two years after that, Spafford decided his family should take a holiday to England, knowing that his friend, the evangelist D.L. Moody, would be preaching there in the autumn. Horatio was delayed because of business, so he sent his family ahead, his wife and their four remaining children, all daughters, 11-year-old Anna, 9-year-old Margaret Lee, 5-year-old Elizabeth, and 2-year-old Tanetta. In November 1873, while crossing the Atlantic on a steamship, their vessel was struck by an iron sailing ship. 226 people lost their lives as that ship sank within 12 minutes of being struck. All four of Horatio's daughters perished, but remarkably Anna survived the tragedy, his wife. Those rescued, including Anna, were found unconscious, floating on a plank of wood, subsequently arriving in Cardiff, South Wales. Upon arrival there, Anna immediately sent a telegram to her husband, which included the words, Saved alone. There's none of us today could fully imagine the depth of sorrow or grief that he must have felt on receiving that message. He set off at once to return to be with his wife. One particular day during the voyage, the captain summoned him to the bridge of the vessel, pointing to his charts and explained where they were. And this was the very spot where his children had perished, where his daughters had died. They said that Spafford returned to his cabin and wrote the hymn, It is well with my soul. The first line, which is peace like a river, attendeth my way. There are other accounts that say it was written at a later date. We do not know. But that voyage was surely one of deep suffering. And it is an inspiration of the moving and well-loved hymn. Horatio's faith in God never faltered. He wrote a letter to Anna's half-sister. He said, we passed over the spot where the ship went down in mid-ocean. The waters were three miles deep, but I do not think of our dear ones there. They are safe, dear lambs. He knew with full assurance that his children, though absent from him, were present with the Lord. The Bible records, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. As we close, we read those words, Sorrow is better than laughter. 
for by sadness of the countenance the heart is made better. So let sorrow draw your soul to the Lord, and let the Lord bind up that which is broken. We are not promised joy every day in this life. We do not know what tomorrow holds, but we hold on to one who holds tomorrow in his hand. And so, Christian, today, take a moment to steady yourself, to think of those who are in the house of mourning. Bring them before the Lord. Reach out in friendship to them. Support them in their grief. For we do not know what a day may bring forth. Close with the words of that hymn, There is coming a day when no heartache shall come, no more clouds in the sky, no more tears to dim the eye. All is peace forevermore. On the happy golden shore, what a day, glorious day, that will be. May the Lord bless his word to each of our hearts this morning. Our gracious God, our loving eternal Father in heaven, Lord, we pray that thou wouldst take that which is of thee. Bless it to the hearts of thy people. O Lord, give us grace daily. Give us strength daily. Bring us daily to the throne room of thy heavenly grace, that we might be supplied our every need. Lord, as we part the one from the other later from our house today, may we part saying it was good for us to have been here. For it's here that we have met afresh with thee. Lord, we pray for our brethren who would bring the word in the morning service. We pray that would go forth in the strength of thy spirit. Lord, bless it to each and every heart. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.